Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's very tempted to make a terrible film pun when introducing our guests in a moment, but we will resist because we're better than that. On today's pod, we're going to be looking ahead to City getting down and dirty against Leeds United and celebrate the contract extension of a ginger prince. We're also going to be reminiscing about a seismic moment in the club's recent history. To discuss all this, I'm joined today by the fabulous Ali Fogg and the always excellent Harry Siddle. These guys have never done a pod together before, so you could say that you were there when Harry met Ali. Sorry, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, Ali, you well? I was until that joke came along. Yeah. I'm really not sure how to react to that. I'm not. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried not to do it. I really tried. Uh, Harry, firstly, my apologies, and secondly, are you well? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. <laughs> good, good. Glad to hear it. Before we get onto this weekend's what will hopefully uh, be a cracking game. Um, Let's talk about Kev De Bruyne, who signed a contract extension this week. Um, Harry, if we start with you, mate, um, Tavez and Sane aside, I'm struggling to think of a player this past decade we've kind of lost against our will. So often we see these contracts done and dusted, early doors. We'll get onto an exception to that very shortly. But in general, do the club deserve a lot of praise for securing our best players on long-term contracts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And my initial reaction was kind of over the moon. Um, I think with Kev, what can you say really? I'm always very hesitant to say someone is the best at something, but I will absolutely back to the hilt that Kev is simply the best midfielder in, in the world. Um, obviously, I grew up watching Silva and, and Aguero and Torre and that lot kind of dazzle, but I don't think I've ever had a player kind of get me off my seat as much as, as Kevin De Bruyne. Um, just his pure, pure ability is just is scary. Um, I remember when, when, when I met him back in the day and we were speaking, I just said, lad, can I just have a tenth of your ability and I'd be a top class footballer? <laughs> um, what did he say? He just said, do you know what it was? It was... Um, a lot of people said that I looked like him and the hosts made a joke that I looked like Kev. And Kev was like, oh, you must be my long lost brother. And I went, as long as, I, if I could have a tenth of your ability, mate, I would and I'd be a top class footballer. Harry, you've um, got to get a t-shirt printed up saying Kev's long lost brother. You've got yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's self, self-proclaimed now, like we're practically related. But no, yeah, securing him for the next four years is sort of a testament to how efficiently we work kind of at board and recruitment level. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on in the, like, the next couple of years to win kind of World Footballer of the Year. And obviously it's no exaggeration to say he'd walk into any uh, side in the Europe. But yeah, the club deserves massive credit, not just for negotiations, but for creating an environment for these elite players that they kind of feel comfortable to commit the best yes. years to the club. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Um, Ali, are there any negatives to this? Uh, well, I guess there could be if uh, if the accountants are struggling to make the wage bills all fit together. Mm. Um, or, I mean, it, heaven forbid, but you know, if, if Kevin was to get some catastrophic injury in the fairly near future and we end up being... Uh, 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 having a, a contracted player for, for so many years ahead. Mm. Um, but that's the chance you take with any footballer, any time, including a long contract. And there are so many advantages to be taken from it, so many gains to be had, that I'm not going to stop for a minute to worry about you know, any yeah. minor risks that might be involved, because that's just the game. Um, for me, I think by f- maybe the most important factor 
is uh, despite what's going on with both the uh, global economy, uh, economy and the uh, finance in the world of football at the moment, uh, we have to assume that sometime in the fairly near future, clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid um, and a few of the other ones will uh, look to turn around their fortunes by buying big name players because mm. those clubs know no other way of operating. You know? <laughs> I don't, I don't care yeah. what their bank balance, I don't care what their bank manager is telling them at the moment. Um, what they do when they don't win titles is they go out and they buy the best player in the world. Um, and I have got absolutely no doubt that Real Madrid, in particular, would have been sniffing around Kevin De Bruyne sooner or later. Um, and what this does is just tells them to f off, basically. Yeah. Um, or if you do want to sniff around, you are going to be talking just absolutely eye-watering uh, sums of money to to come and even talk to us. Uh, and that's what a long contract does. Um, on on top of that, obviously, when when you're looking to sign, whether it's Erling Haaland or all the other players that will come. Yeah, in in the months and years after, or or may come the months and years after, um, the fact that you've got you know the 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 best deliverer of a football in yes. in the game in the world at the moment, uh, who who wouldn't want to play with Kevin De Bruyne the way he is at the moment? Uh, so it's it's massive for uh, the construction of the future of the club. Um, it's massive for our self-image and, and you know, just the fact that we can lay down such a, a long and, and cast-iron contract uh, to a player that, you know, we, we have built our team around and will continue to build our team around. It's massive. It's huge. I was delighted when the news broke this week and, and I've been grinning a little bit ever since and, and nothing will take the shine off that. Well, I mean, you mentioned that Barcelona and Real Madrid and it has to be said that the, the thing that they do so well is... You know, they nail their players down, don't they? And so if you want one of their players, not only do you have to basically tempt them away from one of the biggest clubs in the world, but you have to pay top, top, top dollar. And that's what we do so well now. We follow yep. suit. And, and so, yep. um, yeah, if, if someone wants a City player now, they have to pay, which brings us on, Harry, to Raheem Sterling and his contract situation. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of what's the latest there? I've been led to believe that basically it's all been put on hold for now. Am I correct there? Yeah, the the reports this week are that he's he's put it all on hold just purely for footballing reasons. Obviously, that was as much as I I was spot on. If Pep was spot on with the team against Dortmund, obviously, if you had to pick something, the big omission was was Sterling because mm. um, uh, I think since Pep's gone here, he's been one of kind of Pep's first names on the team sheet. Albeit recently, he's he's not really been there. Um, so at the moment, he's focusing on his on his football and trying to get back into to, to Pep's side without the. The um the kind of added distraction of the contract negotiations, which I suppose is a massive plus for for the fans. You know what I mean? He's not getting himself yeah. sort of caught up in that. Um, it's going to be a tougher deal to get done than Kev, I'd imagine. Um, with him being in and out of the team, and especially if he can't get back into the team between now and the end of the season, I think we, me and you spoke, didn't we, last week, Steve, about him being one of the players that you could yeah. see maybe I, I, leaving. I believe you uh, you made waves with what you said. <laughs> yeah, some Spanish paper thought I was like the Fabrizio Romano of the City World of Sports. Like, like I confirmed Sterling was going Madrid for just saying that I could see it happen. So yeah, that was brilliant. But nah, I could, I, 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 I think it'll be one that you, you won't know until it's 
till it's done. Um, mm. It'd be kept very under wraps, but I can tell you now that Sterling will be City's next priority to get a, to get a contract done. Yeah, I mean, the very different circumstances, very different kind of players. Um, you do feel with him that he does have one eye on Spain at some point in his career, whereas yeah. Kev has basically made it clear, you know, I'm happy to stay in Manchester for the duration. I was very interested to read, actually, but by the end of Kev's contract, he'll be at City just as long as Sergio Aguero. Um, yeah. I... There's not enough stone in the world or granite in the world to make a statue of him when he, when he, <laughs> when he calls it a day, is it? It's, it's going to put the other three to shame. Um, Especially with the trophy cabinet he's going to have when he's Absolutely, left. yes. Uh, let's move on to dirty, dirty leads. Um, well, first off, Ali, you're of similar generation to myself. Um, are they still dirty leads? Do they still get the blood pumping? Um, or has their decline in recent times and the kind of, and maybe the fascination around Bielsa as well? Uh, resulted in them becoming just another opponent. Uh, I, I I don't think either of those things quite. Um, Somewhere in the middle. The, of <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll be um, first. First thing to say, uh, I I wasn't in England while uh, lead. Well, I, I can just about remember the nineteen seventies, but I wasn't following English uh, yeah. uh, top level football that closely when the Lorimers and Billy Bremners and so on that generation was was going on. Um, and then Leeds were kind of a, a they're a bit a mythological quality seems to me throughout the uh, the eighties and and then they had that weird period in the nineties yeah. uh, when they. Uh, they did the Icarus thing. They flew. They flew too close to the yeah. sun. Uh, they thought they'd built themselves wings to to take themselves to the top tier of the uh, of the Champions League, uh, and they they crashed and burned in in the most spectacular way of any footballers of I think my my lifetime. Um, and all through that, I think they have been changing character. And the team that came up uh, this year don't feel to me like the Leeds United of myth and legend. Mm. Um, that I remember hearing about. Uh, at the same time, the Leeds United the team that came up and that have been playing all this year and that we play tomorrow, they don't feel like just any other mid-table Premier League team to me. When when I watch them play, they play in ways that are different and unexpected and, and uh, I'm not enough of a tactics geek to fully get my head around what Bielsa is doing at any given time. But I do know every time I watch a Leeds match, they seem to just um, produce formations and, and moves and goals out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, and I, how did how did that happen? How how is he getting these results from players? Which, let's be honest, if they were at Newcastle yeah, um, or West Brom, they would you know they're, they're players of an equivalent standard probably to to teams that are right down at the bottom. Uh, and yet he's producing performances that have got them you know. I think they're on forty-two points now, equal with equal with Arsenal, uh, with seven games, eight games to go in the season, uh, which is a phenomenal achievement for a, any club that has come up. Um, and I, with the there's the inconsistency as well, which I guess is part of that too. Uh, so no, and and to 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 address the very uh, top level point, um, they're not a dirty team, and and they don't scare me physically. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like. Sometimes you can go against a, a team that's a newly promoted team and, and you worry about your players' knees and ankles. Um, and that certainly, of course, was the, the case with the Leeds of the oh, 70s yeah. and 80s. Um, it, it's really not like that anymore. Um, I, I actually, maybe it's because I'm, a, a, I'm an immigrant and a newcomer to, to the north of England, um, but I don't have the kind of hostility towards Leeds that 
I think a lot of uh, City fans and, and fans of virtually every club <laughs> around the north of England kind of have got lingering at a, a low level. Um, I kind of, if, if anything, I feel quite warm to them. And the one thing, the, the other thing I'd say is that early 90s team of Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka and, and so on, um, I think they were a very different kind of leads too. And my memories are much stronger of that club and that team, yeah. uh, the, the Michael O'Leary leads. Uh, than of the um, the the Peter Lorimer, Billy, Billy Bremner, you know that that kind of leads. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's just me, but no, I I don't think of them as dirty leads. Um, I think of them as quite a uh, fascinating and intriguing and and quite welcome presence in Premier League football. Well, I certainly never felt particularly welcome when I went there in the late eighties. But I have to say that was the same for a lot of grounds back in the day, in, in particular yep. in that era. And I think. It was just before our time, really, wasn't it, where Leeds really were considered to be dirty Leeds. And they, and they were hated, let's be honest. Um, Harry, it was certainly before your time. What, what do you oh, yeah. What do you know about them from the <laughs> 70s? What's the kind of, you know, from reading up on them and just kind of, um, how have how they kind of been perceived to you kind of as regards to what they used to be like? Um, well, I the last time they were in the Premier League before this one was... Uh, 2003 2004 and i was i was three years old so mm. yeah um there's kind of not a big recollection in my mind of what leads were like previously but from what i've heard yeah. you know they were they were they, they were exactly pretty much what you have you have just said compared to you know i'm just now used to this kind of absolutely but mental like attacking football that, <laughs> yeah that, that leads and we and like with bielsa now like you, you're not Pep Guardiola's favourite managers and not a top top manager and I do agree there's from what I've read compared to now there's definitely like a massive style change but I don't know if that is just with the times you know what I mean like this sort of style of football is very popular today whereas what was Leeds is sort of rough and ready style the kind of the style yeah. of the, the 70s. I mean, they were, they had you know, stylish players Lorimer and the like and, and you know, they were an amazing football team to be fair yeah but they were also bastards. I mean, they were just kind of sprinkled throughout with absolute bastards. Um, and good on them, it worked for them. But yeah, I mean, again, it's just before my time. But from what I've seen, um, yeah, you wouldn't have fancied going to Leeds on, on a Saturday afternoon back in the day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, about, if, yeah? if, if anyone hasn't seen The Damned United, uh, yes. which is the definitive record of the Leeds team of the 1970s. It's an incredible film, and I know probably almost everyone listening to this podcast will have already seen it. Um, but the last time I checked, it was actually available on iPlayer, so if you, for some reason you've missed it, you, you saw the words United and thought, that's not for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then look past your prejudices and go away and watch it tonight, because it's an absolute treat. It's, a, it's an incredible yeah, the, the book as well, the book is, is, is yep. superb, and the way it's written is so kind of um, unique and... Um, okay, the team lineup predictions. This is a really hard one. Um, we'll start with you, Harry. Does a lot of his selections depend on what Pep's got in mind for Dortmund in the second leg? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's a few players that I think are in needed of a rest, kind of combined with the two sort of games we've played already. Plus, the international break obviously is still quite fresh in the in the recent past. Um, I think Carl Walker probably is, is in needing the rest uh, with, with kind of midweek in mind. Yeah. Um, so I'd be tempted. I am also tempted to think that maybe this could be a rest for Diaz. I know he seems to be Pep's go-to man in every sort of competition. And he just seems like a pure and utter athlete. But I don't know if Pep might think with the, the more important games coming up, mm. 
he this one is one they can miss out and obviously we still don't drop in quality we're we, not there you know we've still got top quality people um i've got a sneaky suspicion that if it does happen we might see a bit of ake uh i know pep spoke the other week about him being gutted not to being able to include ake in the team against leicester oh. um so i don't know if he wasn't 100 percent or something like that um oh. but but apart from that, the the, the the same with the sort of the forward lines, just kind of pure rotation, um, you'd imagine. The midfield's a bit harder because obviously every single midfielder we had at the club played in, in midweek. Um, so apart from Fernandinho coming back in, it's going to be one of the two of Bernardo, Gundogan, Foden, De Bruyne, Rodri, you'd imagine. Um, so I went for Bernardo and Gundogan. And then, obviously, I put the the front three fully rotated, Sterling, Jesus and Aguero. Well, do you go along with that, Ali, regards to Sterling? I mean, it makes sense that he'd start with him not starting um, in the week. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I don't think Pep will, but I have to say I would be absolutely delighted if they arrested 10 of, out, out of the 11 players that yeah, started I, uh, on Tuesday. Um, uh, you know, if, we, if we lose or, or end up with a nil-nil against Leeds, I'm absolutely fine with that. <laughs> really? yeah. what, what I care about is, is being absolutely uh, at our, our best and fit and ready to go against um, Dortmund on, on Wednesday. Uh, and then bearing in mind... The Saturday after that is the FA Cup semi-final, and then uh, there's what have we got after that? There's oh, a, just everything, pretty much. Just everything. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. a West Ham game, isn't there? It's ludicrous. Um, yeah. But you know, between between now, uh, there's probably the Leeds game and the West Ham game are the um, only opportunities we've got in the next four or five weeks to rest any players, mm. um, and I would t- take it as much advantage of that as we possibly can. Um, my guess is uh, Pep will probably start Kevin because he almost always does, even when you think he doesn't need to. Um, we'll hope to take him off after 60 minutes. Um, beyond that, uh, yeah, rotate as many as we can. Completely agree about the front three. It'll be entirely different, no doubt about that. Um, Fernandinho will come in. Um, I would love to say Ake. Uh, and, and to be honest, if it's Ake and, and Laporte as a back... Uh, a centre-back pairing, I'd be quite happy with that. Zinchenko on the left, um, that only leaves maybe Kyle Walker uh, or Cancelo, I think, had a, had a break last week, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Maybe Cancelo. Cancelo, we've got no alternative but to play him in the right and Zinchenko on the left or even Aki on the left, I guess, or some kind of back three or whatever. Um, but my, I, 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 my uh, bottom line, I will repeat, is I really don't care who starts so long as as many players as possible are rested and, and ready in peak condition for Wednesday, because that's what I care about. It's interesting that neither of you have mentioned Aguero. Do, do either of you think that... I had, might... I, yeah, I had him in my front three. I think I was assuming he was, sorry. That's my mistake. Sorry, Harry, I thought you, I thought you said uh, Jesus to start. I, I just think if, if with Aguero, if, if, we're so, if Pep's so adamant that he's going to have a big moment between now and the end of the season, whether it's because he's let's be honest, if if we play the champ, if we get to the Champions League final, Sergio Aguero isn't going to start at this moment in time, mm. um, and I, I still don't think he will. But if we want him to come off the bench and provide a big moment in a big game, we've got to be now playing him consistently in the league so we can get up some sort of sharpness to come off the bench in these big games and be straight into it rather than having to have 20, 30 minutes to get into the game. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, a Saturday lunchtime kickoff it kind of always makes me uncomfortable. Um, Ali, I always imagine the lads being slow out of the blocks. Um, it always tends to be the way with Saturday lunchtime games across the board, actually, not just with City. Um, am I right to be concerned? 
Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I'd. I'd like someone to crunch the stats on that because uh, I don't know what our record is in, on twelve thirty kickoffs compared to any other time. Um, my guess is actually there probably isn't a pattern, but there feels like there is, and and that's mm. probably more to do with us waking up and still being a bit groggy <laughs> twelve thirty when uh, when I would uh, be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, I, it, it shouldn't be. Um, if we'd been playing Wednesday night, then I'd maybe be a bit more concerned about it. But the fact that we've had the extra day from the midweek game uh, does give them a bit more time to wake up early in the morning. Um, and the fact it's a home tie as well helps as well. When you're playing at 12.30 in, in uh, sure, Southampton yeah. and you have to travel and stay away or whatever the night before, then it's much more of a problem. Um, and I'm not too worried about that. Um the the only thing I find with twelve thirty kickoffs is it gets to two thirty and well what do I do what do I do with the rest of my weekend now? Um, <laughs> and, if you lose. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, especially if you leave. Uh, so no, if, if anyone wants to um, dig out some numbers showing me that we've got a, a much uh, lower win rate at twelve thirty kickoffs, uh, I will change my mind. But at the moment, I think it, I suspect it's more in our mind than than the players. I think I'm, I'm going to check this out, you know, after the pod because I I remember obviously the five nil against Liverpool back in the day. Um, yeah. That was Saturday lunchtime. I I, I will the steady last- claim that was the last good performance we put in. Yeah, the la- I was just I was just going to say the last last time we played twelve thirty was was West Ham, um, quite recently, and we started really slow then. Yes, um, we do tend to do a Brighton. I thought I brought Brighton and Bournemouth the Sterling last minute winner. I'm sure was Saturday lunchtime as well. Yes, it was. Yeah, we do but tend this, to this, do like late late revivals. The only thing I'd say is not many of these lads will be involved in Wednesday, so it's kind of a chance for what seems like this. I'm sort of. B team at the moment mm. to kind of state the claim to get into this start of first eleven that seems to be Pep seems to be putting out in the Champions League and other domestic comps. Yeah, um, Harry, how do you see the game playing out? Um, again, probably entirely dependent on team selection, but it's going to be a, a cagey one, very similar to to, to the one at Ellen Road. Um, but I'm hoping that kind of City's attack can click and sort of shine through um, I can I mean I've put the kiss of death on it I can't see it being very high scoring um, I know one lad uh, leads Jack Harrison has been absolutely flying at the yeah. moment and obviously he's not available for him at the weekend so that'd be a massive blow for them but they've got obviously quality in that Rafinha who's been fantastic for them this season um, so the well, let's be honest it's not going to be not going to be a boring game because Bielsa is never going to put 10 men behind the ball um, <laughs> you'd imagine yeah. so but I can still see it being very cagey, but City's hopefully attack can can just nick it. Um, Ali, you mentioned there when, when it gets to half two and kind of you know you think well what we're going to do the rest of the day, but it's a, it's a lovely start to the weekend that and it Bielsa v Guardiola uh, as Harry says there you know it's not going to be a case of sticking. T- There's no low blocks here. It's just going to be two teams trying to play good football. It should be yeah yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've started looking forward to it almost to. Five minutes after full time on Tuesday. Yeah. Is that right? What's next? Um, uh, mainly because I think we didn't talk about the the game against Dortmund, but I, I kind of uh, I found myself buzzing after that game in a way that I haven't after a football game for a long time. And I think it was the late winner thing and the whole the whole mm. roller coaster of emotions when they equalised and all the rest of it. Um, so uh, I have been uh, on something of a, a footballing high all week, looking forward to this game. And yeah, I think Bielsa's Leeds is the perfect. Uh, Tie to be coming up for uh, for that kind of mood. Uh, so yeah, it, 
Uh, fingers crossed it should be a fascinating game. Um, obviously, the, the fact that we've been talking about you know, a large amount of rotation does mean that it won't be the, um, yeah, the, won't be the perfect guide, guide to the uh, Manchester City's uh, at our best. Yeah. It's not going to be but, straightforward, is it? Because of that, yeah, but that, that does kind of give it an extra uh, level of, of intrigue and, and interest as well. I think it, it will uh, give uh, Bielsa and, and Leeds uh, something to, to cling on, uh, that kind of optimism to cling on to. Um, I, I really enjoyed the 1-1 we played back when it was October, November, whenever we played yes. against them. I, th- I thought it was a really fascinating game and even though we didn't win it, um, it was it was a very uh, intriguing game to watch and, and I'm sure the same will apply this time. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing, hopefully, some of the players who come in uh, doing their best to, to stake a claim for a, a starting starting birth in, in the European games and the uh, FA Cup fi- uh, semi-final and so on coming up. So uh, there's lots to look forward to. Um, and again, as, as Harry said, uh, some of those Leeds players are, are a joy to watch. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just talking about it now. I'm getting quite tingly with anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as you said, though, the players, I mean, they are a joy to watch, but a lot of them... They're still championship players, you know. It, it, they've basically been elevated by Bielsa. Uh, a key factor for me, I think, will be to pin back Alioski and Ailing. Um, so Sterling is, is a definite start for me to, in order to do that with Ailing. Um, uh, you also said how unpredictable they are, um, Ali, and, and absolute bang on. They've scored more than Chelsea and scored just four fewer than Liverpool and Spurs. But their defence is porous, to say the least. They've conceded seven more than Fulham, ten more than Brighton. The thing what really stands out for me, it's quite remarkable that they haven't had three losses on the bounce or three wins on the bounce all season. Um, So it it kind of bodes well that they've won their last two games because it's Uh, it's, it's (laughs) a defeat. Uh, Harry, uh, score prediction? Oh, I don't know now. I feel like changing it. Like I thought it would be a bit really caged, but I I just remembered how how susceptible Leeds are at conceding goals. Mm. Um, You know, I'll just stick stick with my original 1-0 sitter. Yeah, well, I can see it being low score myself, to be honest. Um, Ali? Yeah, the, the only thing I'd, I'd add to those stats about Leeds uh, is how many of the goals they both scored and conceded came in the first half of the season. Um, and mm. I think if we were to look uh, in 2021, I suspect they've been conceding far fewer goals yeah. than, than they were uh, before Christmas. Uh, but So, so yeah, they've got a bit tighter. Um, I will go a 2-1 City, maybe. Okay, I'm going to also go 2-1. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in the least, though, to see a 1-0. I think this is going to be low scoring, but fascinating to watch throughout. Um, okay, let's move on to um, the past, because next Friday will be 10 years to the day when City beat United in that famous FA Cup semi-final. Um, let's start with you, Harry, because first of all, you've been the youngest. How kind of how old yeah. were you during that game? Kind of, you know, what, what do you remember about it? I can't remember exactly, 11, 12, but yeah. I, um, my day on that occasion was brilliant because obviously I, I go to, I go to the home games at the Etihad with my granddad, but away games obviously were, I had in the back of them days, obviously I had to go with, with, with my mum or, or someone else yeah. because obviously I couldn't just go down there on my own. Um, so we opted out on that occasion of going to Wembley at the possibility of a final, but we were at City Square because they were showing it. Um, and that right. day was just, that day was just, it was fantastic. It was honestly probably the most nervy 
but hopeful kind of atmospheres I've experienced um, of what we could kind of could have achieved. There's an ace photo of me and me and my little brother when when Yaya had scored like running around City Square with our tops off, like. But it just felt like a like a, a massive, massive relief that day. Uh, it was the first day, I think, that City kind of announced themselves as this sort of power shift in Manchester. You know, like, we're not just going to let United kind of walk all over us anymore. You know, we're here and we're kind of here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt seismic at the time as well. That's what made it so mm-hmm. great. It really did. Um, Ali, what, what's your memories of the day? Uh, I remember watching it in the pub, I think Little Vic in Levinson, uh, mm. with uh, probably about two-thirds reds and one-third blue, which is quite a nice balance for when you win. Um, but I tell you what, when, when, we, when this came up in the schedule to talk about today, I went back and looked at the uh, the match reports and the lineups and whatever, um, and just reading through the City lineup that day, um, it, it, it gives me all kinds of warm feels, you know. I was <laughs> yeah. I mean, that team, the, the starting team that day was Hart Company, Zabaleta, Kolorov, Lescott, Johnson, <clears throat> uh, Barry, <coughs> David Silva, uh, De Jong, Yaya Touré, and Balotelli. What a lineup! What yeah. a, what a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know what that team went on to achieve, so it's not a surprise, but it, it just... Um, the, particularly when you know that... Uh, uh, the the one who shall not be named went off and was replaced by Sean Wright Phillips, yes. um, yeah. which it must have been very shortly before he left. Yeah. I can't remember that he must have been the way out the door. And then Silva came off in the eighty seventh minute and was replaced by Vieira. Wow, <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> but it's actually it sounds quite a defensive lineup that does. I mean, yeah, it's a great that was Pete Mangina. Yeah. That was absolutely yeah yeah classic Mangina. <laughs> yes. Yeah yeah, um, and Balotelli man of the ma- match. Uh, yeah. with, with of course the the uh, the the iconic yeah yeah goal, uh, so yeah, uh, it does feel like a an iconic yeah iconic moment a a, a, a landmark moment in yeah. the club's history, um, as you say. I, I mean, I, I mostly remember. I don't can't remember that much of the game itself. I suspect I was drinking quite heavily. Um, <laughs> I do I do vividly remember the build up to it and and all the um the. Uh, news and, and the the reportage out in Wembley Way and, and all the United fans and the City fans and you'd they'd always find the families that are half blue and half red mm. that are going and all those kind of things and just the sense of anticipation and the sense of occasion that went round that semi final particularly for a semi final because normally Wembley semi finals are such a not a anti climax the rough. Yeah, whatever the opposite of an anticlimax is, it's, it's like a pre-climax. It's kind of like it, yeah. it's kind of like a big occasion when it shouldn't be. And I kind of always uh, a little bit resent the uh, the semi-finals of Wembley. I don't think it should happen. Um, but for all that, it 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 it's amazing how well it does stand out in the mind, and and just how special it looks uh, looking back on it now. Um, what what a day! What a team! And and I can't believe it's ten years. What 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 a journey we've been on in the ten years since. When you look at where all those players ended up and what happened to them. Well, absolutely. Yeah, we'll move on to that in a sec, actually, because it's fascinating. To it's kind of a landmark moment where we could say, you know, that was a starting point. I know it wasn't, but you know, it could be viewed as a starting point. And that's what fascinates me most, actually, about that day because I remember going on Blue Moon Forum a day later, and people were mm. saying things have changed now. The power structures changed. At the time, you know, so when it, when you see things, teams like Watford, for example, or Brighton get to an FA Cup final and you see the fans interviewed after, before the game, they know, they know that this is, you know, it might not happen for another 25 years and this is their day in the sun and they want to enjoy it. Whereas City fans went down to Wembley that day 
knowing that it was the start of normality for them. You know, maybe yeah. that's, that's, that's a, a touch arrogant to say that, but certainly the start of something special and there will be more days like this to come. But to do so, it was psychologically so important to beat United that day. And and doing so was just... I, I remember when we um, when Yaya scored, I celebrated on my knees. And I remember thinking halfway through the celebration, oh my God, I look just like that William, Duf- William Dafoe in Platoon when he gets shot. I don't know why I remember that. But I, I got a really vivid, you know, because I was like bent back and my head was up into the sky and I was just screaming at the top of my lungs. And, and yeah, I just weirdly thought, oh, I just look like one of the Our body experience, but no, an unbelievable day. And um, I just think it was it was very important. I think for City fans helped the game in the semi final rather than the final. Imagine the, the nerves for a final, let alone yes. a semi final. Yeah, it meant, I mean, of. I know we were favourites against Stoke, but you know, City fans are never going to assume of they're going to win a But it just meant we could kind of enjoy the day against Stoke. Whereas yep. United, it was it was the importance, wasn't it? It was just it was everything that day to, to win that day. Um, and then you can look at the QPR game, of course, and say if we hadn't have won that, what would become of City? But the same could be true of a semi final, I think. Um, Ali, you mentioned there what we've kind of gone on to win since. Okay, so let's kind of say it's a decade because, you know, I know it, it began before then, but that was such a seismic moment. So ten, next Friday will be 10 years to the day. In that decade, has City fulfilled its kind of, its promise really, um, you know, maximised our ridiculous resources um, and, and won all we could? I will say something that a lot of City fans hate anyone saying. I think the answer to that is still no. Because I think our destiny then and now was to be the best team in Europe. That's fair, uh, yeah. And until we've won the Champions League, we can't say that is true. Uh, and I know that's what Liverpool fans and United fans keep throwing at us. Oh, yeah. uh, and we hate it when they throw it at us. Uh, but I think there's an element of truth to it. So um, uh, if it's 10 years uh, from the 16th of April, whatever we're talking about, um, yeah, give us 10 years and three months and maybe... Uh, or, or two months, yes. and, yeah. and and maybe that uh, maybe that journey will be complete. Um, I think until we have won the Champions League, the journey won't quite be there. Um, but when I think t- thinking in terms of ten year blocks, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, Kevin signing for what will become ten years yes. when he leaves. Yeah. Um, and you think I mean that that version was that must have been the summer before we signed Sergio. Did he come just a few weeks after he, he that did. game? Yeah, he was. Yeah. The following season, obviously, won the yeah. league. And um, that was his first season, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, there, there was that... Uh, there was those players, company within that team. Zabaleta, who didn't quite stay a decade, but nearly. Uh, David Silva within that team, stayed a decade. Sergio was about to arrive, would stay a decade. Um, and what I remember of that, uh, the the media discussion and, and you know, fans from other clubs talking about City in that period of 19... Uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, we were constantly being told that we will never win anything or will never achieve what we think we will achieve because these players are coming in from all over Europe and a bunch of mercenaries um, who are coming for the money and they will stay a year or two and then they will bugger off back to Spain uh, having underperformed and we'll never win anything. Those mercenaries were uh, Vance and Company, they were... David Silver, they were Sergio Aguero, they were Yaya Turi, they were uh, Zabaleta. Uh, they were these players that we're now building statues to. We can't, we can't find enough marble to buy enough statues for, for all of them. Um, 
all of them have given their absolute all to this club. Um, they have loved this club with uh, every bit of his intensity and loyalty that the club and the fans have given back to them. Uh, they have built uh, an epoch at this club um, and uh, not a single one of them was in it for the money. <laughs> they were all in it for the, the, the sport and the glory and the achievement uh, and the, the fulfilment. Um, and it's an incredible roster of players and it's been an incredible 10 years uh, and, you know, what a club. Oh, well, so that's it. Uh, and, and as regards to kind of the mercenary jibe, I, I love that banner. I can't think of it word for word. Um, the United one saying, you know, you sign players for money, we sign players for... Oh, money. yeah. Oh, our players make money, our players make history. That's, that's, that's it. One. That was the one. Oh, just glorious. Glorious. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Harry, what about domestically then? If we kind of, you know... It's a fair point about Champions League undeniable. Yeah. We have to accept, but domestically, we pretty much own the Carabao Cup. Um, <laughs> the league, you know, it's it's actually we've won the league so often they actually have to do a double take and go, have we won it this amount of times or this amount of times? Yeah, FA Cup, maybe we could have done better. Do you think? Maybe is, is that, that been greedy? It probably, probably is. I mean, you can look at it from two ways, can't you? You can look at it from the media's perspective, and you can look at it from a fan's perspective. Mm. From the media's perspective, they'll always say that the, the ultimate goal is to win the Champions League, and I've no doubt that what we've just said is is true. The the club want to be the best side in Europe, and although I think at times we have been the best side in Europe, we're not trademarked because we've obviously yes. we've not won the, yeah. the big prize. Um, but looking at it as purely as a City fan, we've just had so many. Such a like, I mean, I mean, you talk about that. T- we've just talked about that Torre moment. To, that should be near the, the the top of your list, but you could list ten moments of that ilk. Yeah, especially in my lifetime, that I'm like, oh my god, like the moments to that sort of happiness, and you're like, wow. And I've had so many amazing times in in my life that I can't just look at no Champions League win as as a failure. Especially, f- look, it's look even for the most pessimistic of City fans, it's looked like it's going to be five Premier League titles in ten years. That is. Ferguson-like United dominance over mm. the league, um, and I think the board will be extremely happy with with what what we've achieved uh, domestically. Of course, maybe the FA Cup is the only one we've we've won. Was it? It's two in it. I've, I've yeah. not got that wrong. It's two, possibly three this season. Um, and then the league club. I'm pretty sure we've we've won it like every year, but one or two, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> but that's not that what you love. I, I hate nothing more than clubs throwing away domestic comps. It's Absolutely, fantastic. and yeah. we never get the credit for that. And I don't think we ever will. And that no. of all the media kind of you know jibes chucked our way, that's the one that really gets under my skin the most. You know, Pep Guardiola values the kind of you know the domestic cups. He, he respects mm. them, and he doesn't. We don't get respect respect for that um, yeah it's, it's just been an extraordinary ride hasn't it it really has it's, yeah. it's impossible to sum it and I just want to look back on that that time um, and you mentioned there the kind of United like dominance we kind of thought this is going to be a United like dominance but just in an airy fairy way you know it's, you can't um, you can't imagine how that feels <laughs> and then to go yeah. through it and actually feel it every step of the way has just been unbelievable especially especially sorry these last four years i mean look we're going to win three out of the last four yeah. Like that is Ferguson. This is that's what and, Ferguson and playing, used to do. Today. You know, the style of football others are copying, you know, just an innovative yeah. kind of style of football which is blowing people away. Uh, that's and that's something you, we certainly didn't imagine. 
if you make a top 10 of like the Premier League players over the last decade, you know, six or seven of them are Manchester City players, aren't you? So, yeah. so we, we, we're sort of blessed to have seen these sort of footballers. Um, to finish off today, we're going to kind of look at Spurs United, but kind of time's coming against us. And, and just something you've, you've touched on there, Harry. So I just want to kind of, there's one question I really want to ask about it because we're talking about how great City have been this past 10 years and how great they are this season. Um, so we'll start with you, Ali, the kind of same question for both. I wrote a piece this week suggesting that if this Manchester United side is the best of the rest in the Premier League, then the standard of a league right now must be pretty poor. Um, would you go along with that? I would, absolutely. And I think uh, United's position in the table is flattered by the fact that we always melt down when we play them in the league. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, we could be six... I mean, if, if, if it hadn't been for that, absolutely dreadful nil-nil that we had uh, and then the, the defeat we could be eight points ahead or, or further ahead than where we are um, and there was a point, it, it never quite worked out, uh, but there was a point round about two months ago when it looked like City could win the league with 76 points we did the sums, that was before the last derby um, and technically I think now it's 82 or something we could win it um, and I, I, it doesn't matter which teams are playing um, you have to go back to the Leicester uh, year when they won it and then back about best part of 10 years to find seasons where teams have been winning it on, on around 82, 83 points or whatever uh, and it's just not good enough, the, the other teams around us should be uh, really quite disappointed with what they're achieved and Teams like um, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, obviously, and even Spurs should be looking at United in, well, second or, or you know, the assuming ahead of Leicester um, and thinking, you know, we should be able to beat them because yeah. they're not all that. And they're really, they're not all that. And the fact that no one is even close to them in second is really a, a quite poor reflection on how the rest of the league has coped with, with and what they're doing. Unique and, and we we can't deny the the circumstances of of the twenty 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 one season yeah. have been unique and difficult and horrible in all kinds of ways and really difficult for uh, the top players to play at their best. Um, there have been as well as the, the usual injuries. There's been uh, COVID absences and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then the the whole season getting squeezed into a, a few weeks tighter timescale than you'd normally have. So all of these are, are good um, explanations and no excuses as to why uh, the the form of top teams have fallen away. But the fact that City have so absolutely bossed it kind of puts the lie to that. The, yeah. the, you know, the, uh, it, it underlines just what a phenomenal achievement City's performances this year have been. Um, you know, because the, how, how all the other teams have performed is kind of the benchmark. And we have torn them apart we have flown away from that um at the same time yeah if, if we can do it then other club managers must be asking why they haven't been able to at least have a better you know put up a better fist of of keeping track of us and um, harry first of all do you kind of agree with the original kind of statement that the premier league the standards are pretty poor right now if you're not second and and if you do believe that who do you think has most underachieved this season I always find it quite hard to talk about this because it always feels like I'm taking away from the achievements of of Sitter because right. obviously okay. we've yeah. been we've been great. But but I do agree that the standards bar City this season have been pretty poor. But I do also think that the standards of the league for the last four years or so have been pretty poor. We've had the two absolute elite sides in City and Liverpool, 
but bar that, has there been really any near competition to us too? There hasn't. So if you, in answer to your second question, the the, the biggest drop off in quality has been has been Liverpool, yeah, um, because they we us two have dominated the league for for the last four years, and that's what's made the sort of title race interesting between us two. But now Liverpool have dropped have dropped off for this season and and City are the only kind of elite side at the top of the table um, the league has seen a measurable kind of drop in quality um, United have had a few players performing at a very good level namely probably Fernandez and Shaw are the, the, the two but but when they're not on it United have struggled and I think they're kind of higher in the table than their sort of strength in depth suggests at the moment in time yeah. Can I add one more thing to that, course, Steve? Yeah. It just occurred to me. I think one thing we should give credit to and, and acknowledge is I think the the bottom half dozen, maybe, it would say bottom ten in the league, have actually been better this year. I'd like to say that. I feel the and same that way. might yeah. it might be the kind of leveling uh, leveling of leveling impact of the pandemic and all the rest of it. You know, everybody goes together. Um, but I think when you look at the bottom of the league, Sheffield United are a pretty good team. Um, and West Brom have been absolutely nuts in all kinds of ways this year. But when you look at the results that they've produced against Chelsea, against Liverpool and against us, uh, and against United as well, I think, they're capable yeah. of, of like really quite remarkable performances. And yet they're almost certainly going down. Um, for for all the brickbats thrown at uh, Steve Bruce at Newcastle, uh, Newcastle are, are a better team than most Teams that are battling relegation most year, I think. Uh, so you know, when you when you look at the the bottom half of the table and and the teams that are scrapping to stay alive in the Premiership, I think they deserve a lot of credit. And the reason, one of the reasons, the top table, top half of the table has been doing quite badly, is because the bottom half of the table has been doing quite well, and and we should give them due credit for that. Yeah, absolute fair point. I'm glad you, glad you said that, and it's, it's a good way to end as well. And um, I, I will say, if there's any gamblers out there for for Spurs United. Back a late goal for United. Uh, the stats are, I, I put them all together this week for a, a bet company. The stats are incredible. Spurs just basically conceding the last 10 minutes of games pretty much every game. United yeah. pretty much score yeah. from the 80th minute on. Uh, we've done so in 27% of their goals this season has come after the 80th minute, which is unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, of course, our attention will be at City this, this weekend. And here's to a nice three points for the Blues. Um, in the meantime, though, thank you very much, Harry. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much, Ali. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everyone. And that's a wrap for today. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you on the other side. In the meantime, take care, be well, and forever up the blues. <laughs>